Yep, I'm ready, I'm ready. Right. I was waiting for you to say, I'm ready, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready, I'm ready. Good. For some reason, I just like when you, how you say that. <laughs> You're very cute doing that. Welcome to the Wages of Cinema. Um, we're actually continuing, uh, this is, I guess, a, still a three-part episode. We're just following up uh, a little bit after we record the first part. Um, uh, we're going to get into uh, Pam Greer in the next segment. But before we do that, I want to talk about some movies that I just saw. Um, and actually, Corey and I just saw. But... This particular one I'm going to start with is one that we saw separately. Yeah, so this is actually a novelty for us on the podcast because we've both seen this movie. I saw it last night. You saw it earlier today. But we did not see it together and we have not discussed our feelings about it at all. No, actually that's not true. You told me your feelings on it. Oh. <laughs> I forgot that. Okay. So, but I told but wait, 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 you wait, wait, what wait, I me, thought about right, it. Let me briefly. Just, let me just put my hand over your, your face. <laughs> you did not tell me how you thought of this movie. I did not tell you how I thought about this movie. Um, so hey, yeah. in fairness to me, I told you what I thought about it like, 14 or 15 hours ago, so I obviously forgot. Well, that's good. Well, it's a good thing I have the memory of a gnat. Otherwise, we'd be in big trouble. <laughs> However, you are a total enigma to me right that's now. That's true. I have no idea. I hold so many mysteries to you, <laughs> just like this movie. Um, no, what we're good, what we're talking about is a quiet place. Um, the new this is uh, the new film directed by John Krasinski. Um, actually, not his first movie, if you can believe that. Um, we saw brief interviews with Hideous Men. I think you watched that. I, I I only saw part of it. I remember not really liking it, but I have no memory of the film itself. I think that probably what he realized was, okay, instead of having a movie with all talking, I'm going to have a movie with no talking. <laughs> oh, you didn't like the dialogue I wrote? Well, fuck you. Here's no dialogue. <laughs> ha! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've ever heard... Uh, Brief, brief uh, interviews with hideous men was an adaptation of David Foster Wallace. This is kind of as far as you can get from David Foster Wallace. You know who produced this movie? Michael Bay. This might be the best thing that Michael Bay's ever, like any movie he's had his name on. We were shocked by that. Ashley's the one who pointed it out to me. When we were leaving the theater, Ashley turned to me and she was like, can you believe Michael Bay was involved with this movie? Well, I actually forgot that... John Krasinski starred in a Michael Bay movie. He was in that movie, uh, 13 Hours, The Secret Army or whatever of Benghazi. He doesn't always make the best choices. I'm a big John Krasinski fan because I'm a big fan of The Office, but he doesn't always make the best choices. No, but this time... Uh, did he make a good choice with a quiet place, though? That is the question. Did he? No, um... <laughs> No, I like this movie. Uh, I did. I, I was quite entertained. Uh, now, I do have some issues with it. Okay. Um, I might have had more issues than maybe you did, although the things I liked about it, I might have liked even more than you did. But we'll get into that in a second. So if you don't know what this movie's about, um, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt were married in real life. They are our parents of uh, some kids. Um, it's right after one of these apocalyptic, Things have happened, you know. You know the story, um, and and basically the, the 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 gimmick here is that the aliens can't see. I guess they also can't smell either. We can get into that a little bit later too, um, but they can hear. They have ears like. Um, you know the the worst sound man in your dreams. Like Ross Perot on all that <laughs> when we were kids. Oh man, what was his close the catch? I got four billion dollars. <laughs> Any all that fans listening, please send your emails to Age of Cinema. Um, all that. That's a good reference. Yeah, yeah. These are the Ross Perot aliens <laughs> and all that. Uh, so they're the, the Krasinski and Emily Blunt. They've set up this little farmhouse out in the sticks, and uh, over a year, John Krasinski uh, is trying to figure out. Okay, where are these aliens come from? Not not even that question. Like, how can they be stopped? And you know, they're just trying to live their lives. Emily Blunt is pregnant and almost is near having a baby, and we're just watching them in this movie 
dealing with the fact that if they make a single sound, the aliens will come and, you know, Eat immediately. Them. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll use, like, their gigantic spider legs. Because they're a bit spidery, these aliens. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so here's the thing about this movie. I think that it really establishes things really pr- pretty cleverly uh, in its world as far as um, th- everybody's doing sign language with each other. And the reason why it's believable, you might think, well, how do they just know how to do sign language? Okay, one of the kids is deaf, so they have to know, know it. Um, and uh, And that also works its way into the plot, too, in a way that I both liked and found a little questionable. <laughs> yeah, I this is something we did not discuss last night, but I feel like I need to know how cochlear implants work better. Is, to that really... what, is that what those are called? Like the ear implant? Yeah, it's a cochlear implant. Okay, I didn't know the technical name for it. Um, yeah, because John Krasinski, somehow he has all these little tools and things, and he's been trying to give his daughter a hearing aid. Um but, you know, of course, she's been deaf, I guess, her whole life. But he's he's still trying to hope. He's still trying to make it. And the daughter's like, no, stop, Dad, stop. This won't work. And, you know, his daughter is like the one character's a bit of a, you know, what's she going to do in this movie? Because she's the type that, you know, she's clearly like 10 or 11, but she says, like, in her sign language, I'm not a child. You have to let me down into your you know, cellar room, and he's like, no, you cannot go down there. Um, for some reason, it didn't make sense. I, don't I know. thought it made sense. Okay. Um, alright, but anyway, back to the, back to some of the things of the movie. How he draws out suspense is fantastic. Like, there are some really, really tense sequences in this movie. You, you are... And he sets things up in certain little ways that you know, oh, this is going to come back in some way. Even just down to a nail appears on the stairs of uh, in their house, for example. And, um, and you know, it, it, the, the way that the story unravels, you... You know, I, I mostly... I wasn't quite sure who would maybe die, ultimately... I had a couple of guesses, but then, hmm, how do I put this? Here's my, my, my one problem, though, with the movie. Again, you should go see this movie. I want to make that clear. And I know you would agree, too, right? Yes. This is a great in-theater experience just because if you have an audience that's at least halfway intelligent, they'll actually shut up for this movie. Because <laughs> I think that, that they'll be in the mindset of the characters, and because because when I was telling you before we started recording, I was in my theater, and at one point a cell phone went off, and I thought, "Oh, he's gonna get it now." Because <laughs> <laughs> being in a theater, it emphasizes, you know, how quiet everything is. But then when there are sounds, that's also emphasized. Um, but I think if I have an issue with this movie, it ha- not maybe not to this extent. But it has a little bit of a War of the Worlds problem. Oh, I'm so glad you made this comparison. Okay. Okay. You know what I you know exactly what I mean. War of the Worlds also a little bit of Mars attacks, but uh, in a serious way. I thought of War of the Worlds too while watching this movie. However, when I thought about it, here's how I thought about it. My, this movie does the familial drama so much better than War of the Worlds, which I think is a garbage movie. So... I don't, I, I don't <laughs> think War of the Worlds is garbage. That's a, that's a little much. So, yeah, Jack, you're not a big fan of War of the Worlds, but you kind of like it. Yeah, well, I wasn't thinking of War of the Worlds for the family part. Uh, although, now that you mentioned that, I, I could see the comparison. Because ultimately, A Quiet Place is about parenting. So, actually, that's... Yeah, I guess that does work. I was thinking more of the logic of the aliens coming to Earth and uh, how things unfold for them as far as their weakness. No, I I hate the War of the Worlds movie. I think it's terrible. And I have many problems with it, but one of my biggest problems was that 
unlike A Quiet Place, War of the Worlds takes place right when the aliens are coming. So we're witnessing the immediate aftermath of the aliens' arrival. Yeah. Unlike A Quiet Place, where the evil aliens have been there for over a year, for most of the movie. They've lived with terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the many things that irritated me about War of the Worlds is in the... um, As the aliens are attacking, for some reason, um, Tom Cruise's kids whine about what a crappy father he is the entire time, instead of, you know, thinking about... I don't know about the entire time. Instead of being captivated by the fact that, OMG, there are aliens here trying to kill us, it's just, why didn't you come to Little League, Daddy? Jesus Christ, shoot me (laughs) now. So, in A Quiet Place, there are definitely, like, moments of familial tension and moments of, like, rebellion on the part of the Mm. daughter. But the reason why they were totally different to me than War of the Worlds was because here, they've lived with the threat for so long, Mm. it made sense to me that they would have the time to have like squabbles with each other. Yeah, no, no, that 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 is true. Like by by making it a year, they they establish that they they've grown to live with what what this world is. See, I I I I, I didn't think of War of the Worlds in terms of that part, but you make a good point with that. I was almost thinking a little bit more of uh, that. This is a less dour. It comes at night. I thought about it comes at night as well when I was watching. Yeah, because it comes at night. I mean, that was a. Uh, I don't know if that's an sad, enjoyable movie. It was a very interesting movie that I'm not quite sure I'd want to watch again, just because it's such a very like down experience. Like, and and that's also where they really draw things out. With this, they're drawing out tension and scenes of characters not doing much but then when the actual aliens come Krasinski really delivers on that and uh and I would also say that yeah because of the year and also this family unlike in War of the Worlds they're really dealing with they have this tragedy in in the backdrop um now this isn't exactly it's funny because when you came home you you try you had like this big smile on your face and you're like this movie happens to do something that you know I often complain about and they did it and I I knew exactly what you were talking about and then I was like you you spoiled that for me but I'm going to now turn this around because I haven't mentioned this I'm going to cut you some slack on that cuz that that technically was in the trailer where, spoiler for those who wonder, at the beginning of the movie, a kid dies. Yeah. Now, I have this thing. I know this makes me sound like a, like a sociopath and like a terrible human being. <laughs> but... No, go on. I'm sure we <laughs> want to hear about your sociopathic tendencies. I'm a little bothered by the fact that most movies don't have the balls to kill child characters. Now, slasher movies kill teenagers, and teenagers are technically children. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about preteens and below. Well, here's well here's where why I think that they did it in this movie, because that happens about five minutes into the film, so we don't we aren't attached to him as a character. I think that the reason why movies don't do that is because if you've grown attached to a kid, you know, very you know, for a while in your movie, and then that kid dies, it. Now I'm not saying you're you're necessarily wrong, but. Usually the thought is, oh, that's just a really easy way to manipulate the audience emotionally. Yeah, but I I have thought that it's kind of chicken that young children never die in these types of movies. Especially because, yeah, I'm going to bring in the topic of realism to a movie like this. <laughs> um, no, but... The, it's but again, pretty it, unrealistic that small children would survive in an apocalyptic environment for very long. Yeah, and but but the thing is that the dead kid in this, too, also creates a conflict with between 
the father and the deaf daughter because she has in her head like it was all my fault the kid was behind me and because i'm deaf i couldn't hear when he did the thing that brought the aliens to kill him. i thought she felt culpable primarily because she's the one that told him it's okay to take the rocket ship oh that well oh, oh that too but now, she didn't tell no, him but, to no, take but, the batteries for the No, no, that, well, that's what I mean, though. She didn't see him do that. I don't think she felt culpable with him taking the rocket ship because the father intervened before the kid could do, you know, he thought that, oh, he doesn't have the batteries. And then once he did, then it was like, oh. So I guess there was the culpability of part of that, but... So, yeah, there's this drama where... The sister feels guilty about her part in her brother's death, which she perceives to be her part in her brother's death. So she feels very guilty. Now, because she feels so guilty, she interprets her father's protectiveness as a kind of punishment. Yeah, there is one point in this where... When you bring up War of the Worlds now, it do, there is a tiny bit though where it does have one. It does have a element of "oh, get over it" type of syndrome, which is he never said he loved me. Which I think that worked in this movie. No, no, it whereas... did. No, no, it do, it works better. It's still though, and it, it has a great payoff when you know. I want. Yeah. You can imagine there's a situation where. When he finally says, I love you, there's a reason for that. But you would think that she would know, you know, he doesn't have to say, you know, I love you to know that he clearly loves her. Yeah, but he he protects her because he loves her so much. And so that's why he says to her, like, I don't want you to go in the basement. He is trying to protect her, but she interprets his protectiveness as... I don't trust you to go down into the basement. Yeah. And you can really see how these kinds of miscommunications mm -hmm. can flourish yeah. in a world where you can't talk. No, Just no, it does. That, that that That's why it does work, though. It, I'm saying that there's an element of it. It's not enough to take away from it being effective emotionally. It's... It's so, still it's still like a conventional thing. I know why you thought of it because I thought briefly of War of the Worlds and I thought about how much I prayed for Dakota Fanning's character to just die already. See, so I didn't find shut up. I didn't find Dakota Fanning as annoying as the sun. Oh, the children were terrible, and you're like actively rooting. For we we get back at them, Dad. We we get we oh, get back at them. So bad. There's the so, so that movie was so terrible. That movie's not terrible. It's just flawed. Um. <laughs> But getting back to War of the Worlds, though, all right. So you, uh, you know, because we're going, we're talking about this for a while, and I don't want to go too long on about the movie. But um, you have, you know, the the thing with the the hearing aid, and all of a sudden it's it's established, and it happens a couple of times as a kind of setup and payoff that oh, the the hearing aid is actually the weakness because anytime. There's kind of like an amplifier, I think, with this hearing aid. And when it turns on, when she's near one of the aliens, it messes up the alien, too. Yeah, it's it almost sounds like um, an obnoxious waves. radio frequency. Yeah. Now, the thing to me, though, this is why I brought War of the Worlds, because in that story, again, it's they come all the way to Earth and water's their one weakness. I thought it was bacteria in War of the Worlds. It's water and signs. Oh, oh. In oh. signs, it's water. In War of the Worlds, it's bacteria. Well, si similar thing. In both cases, it's super stupid. Yeah, or... And I also brought up Mars Attacks. If you remember Mars Attacks, how the aliens are defeated Swim that. Women. <laughs> they really don't like my song. Um, <laughs> but, um... Well, I th that's the type of thing where... All right. I get that that's how you are going to you know show have some resolution in the story which is very grim and dark um i don't know i just uh I, I wasn't that thrilled by that type of revelation because to me it's like what nobody else on earth thought of this my problem was i don't know enough about cochlear implants 
to tell whether that ending is BS or not. Oh. I legitimately don't know. Yeah, that's actually a good point, too. That's why um, I don't know if the way that Krasinski made that implant for the kid, because maybe it was meant to be a more powerful implant, it doesn't work for her. That's an obvious point. But how it suddenly turns on because of the alien's weird gigantic seashell ear um i don't know it, it seemed like a slightly goofy way to end what is a very serious movie in a way uh, but it was fine but the other problem which i think we actually talked briefly about before was you know it, it, it's difficult because with this movie again the whole idea is you make a sound alien comes you die okay but then, why... Something occurred to me, which is water. Why... And I know that they try to explain this, that, you know, that the aliens don't go near the water, like the river, even though that's all sounds of water. They just leave that alone, and they're worried about small sounds. But I don't know, though. Like, wouldn't... Th like, is it only, then, sounds that humans make? Or animals? Well, no, here's... Here's how they explain it in the movie. Because the river, the sounds of the river don't change, there's no, like, the sound of the river is constant. It's not, it's never louder or softer. So what happens is the aliens tune it out. It becomes, like, white noise. Mm. Which means that if there's a steady consistent sound the aliens get used to it mm. and they stop reacting to it so any sound that breaks from the ambient sound of the environment triggers them okay yeah now all right. i'm not saying you have to buy that explanation but that's what the filmmakers seem to be going with that for instance like let's say they, um, I don't know, turned on a television in the house, right. right? Obviously, the aliens would come and eat them. But let's say the aliens come, they eat the family because they turn on the TV, and let's say the TV stays on. And let's pretend in this universe the TV just stays on for months at a time. And the volume of the TV never changes. Eventually, the sound of the TV becomes part of the environment. Mm. And because there's no variation, it no longer triggers the aliens. All right. After I, I, I think I, I think I get that, then. Um, what would have been an idea, then, is if they just kept a TV on to distract them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is, the minute they turned on the TV, the aliens would come and eat them. Yeah. They would never survive the initial introduction of sound yeah. into the environment. And that's why... Now, what I said to you last night is, as much as I enjoyed this movie, it does strain credibility that you could go over a year... Yeah. ...without making involuntary noises. Yes, exactly. Like, people fart. People well, snore. That's we what talked I said. To, we talked I, about that. I read a review of this movie... And you have to suspend some disbelief for this movie, and I'm fine with that, but, yeah. And that's what the reviewer said, and that's totally right, is that we make involuntary sounds all the time. And there are certain sounds that the human body makes that you really, I mean, you really can't um, muffle all the time. Now, I should mention... What if somebody got, like, a leg cramp? <laughs> <laughs> we we both deal with leg cramps sometimes you just go like ah, well ah. emily blunt would be like suck it up i went through labor well let me talk about that for a second man now obviously this isn't as bad as something like apocalypto damn it get, get out of my head <laughs> that's what i was gonna say but man she goes through labor in like 10 minutes yeah. Uh, that's at least what it feels like, doesn't it? Do like, you know what I actually thought of? And, like, I, and I know that, yeah, okay, it's a movie. Just buy into it. I'm sorry. She, like, people go through labor for, like, at least a day, if not a days. Well, here's the only thing I'll say with that. Because it was the fourth child she was giving birth to, 
generally your labors do become quicker the more children you have. Okay, but that's still... Her labor was still too quick, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't quite as egregious as if it had been a first child or even a second child. Yeah. Now, you know what I thought of, actually? The Church of Scientology believes in silent births. They believe that women should not be allowed to make noise while giving birth. Are Krasinski or Emily Blunt Scientologists? Not to my knowledge. I, I just not. No, I don't think they are. I just <laughs> thought of it briefly when I was watching the movie. Because when this was going on, I'd be like, man, the Scientologists would be all over this. Silent yeah. birth. I mean, that's also another thing that... I know this is a much smaller point, and you're you're probably going to be like, why why are you even bringing this up? But you're you're in the midst of an apocalypse. Why are you even having a kid? Yeah, I mean, like, why why are you even having sex? Is kind of noisy. If you're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess John Krasinski in this movie, he was he's a great father and great husband, except for one aspect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This is definitely this is definitely a moment where I'm glad that we're like married people doing the podcast together because this would be a little awkward talking about this with Andrew. I will yeah, admit because we are two people who have maybe had those types of relations together. <laughs> okay, let's talk about another thing with this movie. Um, no, I, I I think this was extremely well done for the most part. Again, I have some issues in the third act. I, I was going like. to say, though, before I made an awkward sex comment. Okay, go. That obviously it's super irresponsible for them to have a kid. But I'm assuming it came out of their longing to... Oh, replace the... the kind of replace their the, dead child. The wrong kid died. <laughs> Plus, <laughs> they're cooped up in that farmhouse all day with nothing else to do when they're not, like, foraging their food. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, you know, sex is gonna happen. I suppose so, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, how can you resist that gigantic bearded uh, Jim... He did look pretty fine in this movie. It was funny. I was listening to uh, the part of the double-toasted Corey Coleman review of this. Uh. He, th- he said, you look at John Krasinski, he looks like a human Pixar character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of liked it in this movie. So I you, was... you think he should keep the beard? I thought he looked pretty good in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you you could see why Emily Blunt uh, stole got that. Yeah, there was something about his ruggedness that was very appealing. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so again, I have some certain issues with a couple of the logistical things in the movie. I will say though, when they find when they really show off the the creature, I thought that was really it was really cool looking. Yeah. And it's it's difficult sometimes to get that because a lot of aliens in movies now just kind of look the same. And in a way, part of this alien has like a slightly similar thing. I guess because War of the Worlds had like the, the aliens with the giant legs as well. But here it was just the way that its head has all these like flaps that come out. It looked like something out of the thing. Um, so I, I quite I want to point that out because that was really cool too. Um, I think actually for the most part we're probably on the same page. Uh, so my final thoughts on this film though, um, yeah, if you like horror and thriller movies, this is a really good one. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd put it up there with as great as some of the other horror movies from the past several years, like It Follows or The Babadook, but, um, also Babadook, another movie about parenting. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but for like a studio movie that has Michael Bay's name on it. Like, finding out Michael Bay produced this movie is like finding out, like, I, I don't know, like, uh, I, like, blah, like, uh, like Roger Corman produced uh, Russian Ark or something <laughs> like that. Wow. Like, Roger Corman has his name on, like, this big, well produced artistic feat. That's cool. Um,. I want to ask you about movies. So let's go into a little bit of two minute movie mile here. Okay. Um, so uh, and I'll I'll try to watch the clock because I don't have my phone with me, but uh, we'll try to keep it to two minutes a piece. Um, 
yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't have like a, a clock with me, so we'll just go with that. Um, all right, what uh, you watched um, a sequel last night? I want to ask you about. <laughs> so last night, I discovered there was a direct-to-video sequel of a beloved movie of mine, Single White Female, called Single White Female Two: The Psycho. <laughs> wow, they really picked a creative subtitle for that, didn't they? And I was quite pleased by it. It was bad in exactly the way I wanted it to be. And it had it, from watching it, it was amazing. I, I watched a couple of minutes. This was made in 2005. You're right. It looks like it was made in about 1996. Yes. It looks like it came out right after the first one. I, I'm, I'm only surprised like Shannon Tweed isn't in this movie. <laughs> what I enjoyed about it, too, is the main character had two bad roommates so they introduced they introduce her roommate that she has when the movie opens and you think oh that's gonna be the crazy roommate but no she's a red herring she's a right bitch don't get me wrong but she's not the crazy roommate of single white female now of course it's not as good as the original mm -hmm. but it was a pretty solid lifetime quality entertainment and full of Corny dialogue, some gratuitous softcore sex scenes. Yeah, you said that they like the, the the two main women have sex at one point. Well, they don't fully hook up; they just make out a little. Oh, okay. And then because the I thought you were about to like come to the bedroom, and be like they're ma they're having to have a sex scene. Well, they started making out, and it looked like it might go further, mm. but it didn't. Yeah. So and there's some good like stalkery violence near the end too and all that yes now i do wish the body count had been a little higher because yeah. the crazy roommate only actually <clears throat> murders one person right she attacks other people but she mm -hmm. only murders actually maybe she murders two people i'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> it all, don't don't put too much mental effort into this i finished watching this movie at around quarter after two last night so i watched it like 12 hours ago right. okay so. that's time um, actually, let's spend, uh, let's do kind of a double minute movie mile because that brings me, that kind of reminds me of something that we watched, uh, a few weeks ago, but I want to bring up, um, we watched The Dentist 2. Uh. We didn't talk about this on the podcast. No, because we haven't, uh, we haven't recorded in a little while. Um. I have, like, a memory of us talking about this on the podcast. That's creepy. All right. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, you're, I you're just you're just creating memories of <laughs> podcast recording. You lead such an interesting life. <laughs> Dr. Alan Feinstone is back in business. Just a small country practice. Doing what he does best. One open wide. He's practicing under a new name. Jamie Devers and Dr. Lawrence Kane. Hi. Larry's just moved here to paradise. I think I'm gonna like it here. And he's giving his patients... Smile. ...the care they deserve. I got a feeling he's gonna be real good for this town. What's wrong? No toothache. May I look at it? Is it gonna hurt? Shouldn't. The motel guy said the only dentist in town was dead. I had to track you down. But his past won't stay buried. You look familiar. What do you know? about me oh okay so um for for that we're gonna do a double minute movie mile here um so for my birthday uh we we actually watched a movie together uh called the dentist 2 brace yourself and i want to say i am so proud of you for watching this all right let me give a little background on this so i actually watched this movie on cable I'd say roughly 18 to 19 years ago. Because uh, I, I also saw The First Dentist as well. This is There is a whole series of movies called The Dentist um, that uh, are about an evil, maniacal dentist who uh, does uh, tortures people uh, in horrific ways with their teeth. And that's something I don't truck with. I don't like seeing dental torture. Uh, on film or in any way like that, especially because it's very up close. And to me, even if you think, well, you could go back later and fix your teeth. No, there's something very permanent about that. Well, 
I've always said I feel like you have this pot- you have this special sensitivity to tooth torture mm-hmm. because you have perfect teeth. I do not have perfect teeth. Now, for those of you listening who cannot see Jack, Jack could be a tooth model. No, no, uh, my 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 teeth are are. I had implants put in when I was like eighteen on some of my teeth. So, so Jack... I, I do have some plastic surgery. <laughs> so Jack has those kind of Hollywood perfect teeth. I have what I lovingly refer to as hillbilly teeth. Well, I actually <laughs> like your front row of teeth fine. It's when you show me your bottom row that I go get away, burn with fire. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, with this movie... Uh, so I remembered this movie in particular, not just because Clint Howard's in it, although he is, but uh, there were very graphic moments of tooth torture. Though not enough for my taste. Well, yeah, well, that's <laughs> what's funny was watching this again, I realized, you know, there's only maybe one or two scenes of really bad tooth torture. And the rest of it is Corbin Burnson basically playing stalked by my dentist. <laughs> Yes, what makes these movies is Corbin Benson's amazing ham bony performance. Yes, yeah, he he's basically this guy who's completely nuts, uh, as you'd assume, and he, in this particular movie, he comes into t- a small town, pretends he's someone else, um, and... In a way, he's. This is like insane if it was from <laughs> his point of view. <laughs> Isn't it? Because does he take over the 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 uh, a character's identity? Yeah, he kills the old dentist and takes over his identity. Well, no, well, no, he takes over his practice. Yeah, he doesn't take it, but he's someone else's identity. Yeah, in this small town. Um. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm not going to exactly say go out and rush to see this movie, but for me, it was a very personal experience where you wanted to watch it with me. A personal triumph. And we had that moment, like in that episode of Doug, where he's really afraid of the scary movie, and then he finally sees it on the last night, and it turns out the monster in the scary movie is goofy, and you can see his zipper. Because you learn that there's actually not that much tooth torture in this movie. Although, I have to mention, while the movie lacks quantity in terms of tooth torture, in terms of quality, the tooth torture that is there is very severe. That, 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 that's a fair point. Um, and I'm proud of you for doing this because the thing I'm squeamish about is eye violence. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I could w- sit through a movie with one or two big eye violence set pieces. I saw many years ago Unchian Andalou, and I'm kind of ruined for life. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think actually I showed you a clip of that, and afterwards you said, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you were very blunt about it. Like, we weren't husband and wife anymore. I was just, like, that guy that raped your eyes. (laughs) We watched it. I watched it before we were married. I feel like, though, I showed you a clip of it once, and you were just, like, not having it. Yeah, so if we ever watch an eye violence movie... Which is so funny, because years ago, Andrew and I watched Unchin Andalou five times in a row. Maniacs. (laughs) <laughs> well, more so him. All right, uh, let me move on to talk about a movie I watched, and I'll just do this for a couple of minutes. I watched uh, The Death of Stalin. Okay. And uh, Oh, before you get into it, I'm going to ask you this question on the podcast while we're recording, even though it's probably something I should ask you okay. before. Are we going to talk about the Single Moms Club? We'll get to that. Okay. Yes, we'll, we'll get to that next. All right, go on with your real movies then. Oh, my, my, my poor real movie. Um... Yeah, uh, again, I'll just spend a couple minutes on this. Uh, this is a new movie by the guy who made Veep, uh, and also uh, In the Loop, which if you haven't seen In the Loop, uh, there's a reason why Peter Capaldi got Doctor Who, and it's directly because of In the Loop, which we both saw and we both enjoyed, right? Very much. Yeah, this has a slightly similar tone to In the Loop, only it's like In the Loop with gulags. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's set in uh, the last day and then the aftermath of uh, Stalin 
Uh, like he, he dies like pretty early on in the film and his whole cabinet is trying to figure out, okay, who's going to take over power next. Okay. So this guy, Jeffrey Tambor is the one who is in the cabinet and he's going to take over. But Steve Buscemi is Khrushchev, and he's waiting off to the side like, yeah, I don't like this guy. He's, he's very mm-hmm. weak. And Steve Buscemi in this movie is just, he's like his character in Boardwalk Empire, but <laughs> a little bit goofier in a way. And yet, it's like he's, it's like in the movie, he gets, his character is tasked with, uh, like, preparing the funeral arrangements. It's like, what? Why do I have to do the funeral arrangements? <laughs> and the thing, too, in the movie, everybody has, um... Nobody uses Russian accents. Everybody either is just American or British. And what I like about that is nobody is putting on, like, trying to act in a way that they it would sound unnatural. They're just, it, it kind of breaks the illusion of it being real. But at the same time, they're filming in what look like real places. And that also sets up for all the comedy that comes out of it. And there's a lot of good comedy here. This also has Michael Palin. Uh, it, um, it's, it's very bleak because you're dealing with Stalin and Russia, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, you should watch it though. If you like uh, veep and you like in the loop, this isn't one to follow up on. All right. Now we will talk about single moms club. So after acrimony, which was such a delight, I told Jack, I wanted to go on a Tyler Perry journey with him. And <laughs> the look on your face right now. Oh, my God. Uh, did, the, 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 did the daggers come out too hard and poke you? I'm sorry. So we spent about a good half hour, 40 minutes planning this out. And after much discussion, we checked out three Tyler Perry movies from the library. Single Moms Club, Daddy's Little Girl... And why did I get married? Yeah, and uh, the Single Moms Club was the first one. Oh, this movie. It's not, I have to tell you guys, it's not fun like Acrimony and Temptation Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. It's terrible, but not in a fun way. It's it's just, it, it's, there are a few moments where we both went, what is happening <laughs> Um, but for the most part, it's really just kind of bland. It, it looked like something that it, it was a little, it, at times it actually seemed a little too professionally shot to really make fun of. It didn't have those moments like Taraji P. Henson in like an all red lit room where like dissolves are showing her dancing. It did have though a moment of atrocious child acting. Like, it had ma- it had several moments of atrocious child acting with uh I think it's N- Nia Long is in this movie. Uh-huh. And I think her actual kid, if I'm not mistaken, plays her kid in in the film and oh my god. The dangers of nepotism are oh real. Oh my god. Oh, fuck that kid. Uh. So, this movie, like other Tyler Perry movies, the dialogue is terrible. It's super unrealistic. Nobody relates to each other at all in a realistic or identifiably human way. The It's supposed to be a movie about friends coming together, single moms getting to know each other, but none of these women have any chemistry, and they don't even seem to get along particularly well, so the whole thing is weird. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, they form this club, and they they try to have a bit of, like, an odd couple-ish type of thing, because... You have the rich, prissy white woman who works at the book... Uh, oh, at, and at that the... blonde lady's just terrible, and nobody likes her throughout the entire Yeah, why movie. is she in the group? <laughs> why is she in this fucking group? She doesn't want to be there. Nobody wants her to be there. Like, And also, by the way, the one thing in this movie that is just... Every time you watch a Tyler Perry movie, there's something in it where you say... That's not how this works. <laughs> you, you go back and read a book, uh, Tyler Perry. Go read a Wikipedia article. That's not how these things work. They're, the whole reason for the Single Moms Club is set up is just ridiculous. Because these kids, they're supposed to be at this private school and they're threatened with expulsion. But 
what they what they did is not really what you get expelled for. Get doing a little graffiti, that's not really something you get expelled for. You get suspended. Yeah. Like why couldn't the single moms have come together for some other reason? Well, so what kind of school punishes children by telling their parents you have to like do a school play together? <laughs> yeah, what the what the hell is that? That's like that's even worse than the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> you messed up. You have to coach this peewee hockey team. <laughs> So yeah, Tyler Perry does not understand how schools work in yeah. addition to not knowing how marriages work or jobs work or money works. He also doesn't know how schools work. No, no, yeah. I mean, you could hear our whole review of Acrimony to hear the many, many things that Tyler Perry doesn't know how things work. Um, let me go on, though, to a movie that uh, we also watched together and I, I don't know if you remember much of it now but it, it, we had a lot of fun watching this movie it was called mom and dad yes <laughs> okay the immediate recognition was like there for you um so if you haven't heard about mom and dad uh this is now on video it, i don't know if it got much of a theatrical release at all this is directed by one half of the crank team and i do love those crank movies yeah, the Crank movies are delicious junk. Like, they are a gigantic bag of fiery Cheetos. <laughs> and they'll give you heartburn and make you feel terrible on the toilet. But, goddamn, you'll have fun eating it. And that's the same thing here. Uh, Nicolas Cage finally gets to return to what we've wanted to see from him for a, a way too long. And he should do more of, which is bug fuck Nick Cage. Yeah. I don't even... It's hard to communicate in words how over-the-top this performance is. He is at 12 out of 10 on the nut bar scale yeah. for every scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's insane. Like, And the thing about this movie is, that if you haven't known the concept, what happens here is something... Is it like a radio signal or something? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a signal... Where all of the parents in this, like, area, I don't know if it's everywhere or just in this town, but all the parents start killing their children. Yes, they're overcome with the need to murder their children. <laughs> it's like a George Carlin bit come to life. <laughs> Here's more reasons to want to strangle your children. <laughs> no, but um, it all takes place over one day. Or night, day and night, where um, the uh, Selma Blair and Nicolas Cage are the main parents, and they have like a young son and a teenage daughter, and yeah, it, it, they're in school when this starts happening. So absolute chaos er erupts everywhere, and all the adults, uh, all the parents, come to pick up their kids. Would you say chaos reigns? No, it's more like. Chaos. <laughs> what is the rush today? It's like you're waiting for a buffet. What's going on? Is that McKenna's mom? Multiple reports are now coming in of parents murdering their own children. Listen to me. We have to get out of the house before mom and dad come home. Okay, uh, the hospital. Okay, so there are multiple scenes in this movie set at a hospital full of doctors and nurses and receptionists all doing their job. None of them have children? Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, like, you would think all places would be completely devoid of adults because so, they'd be running home to kill the their movie kids. Is very inconsistent about the impact of the signal. And sometimes the parents demonstrate long-term strategic thinking yeah. and the ability to think and talk normally and to plan to kill their children in kind of a cold, intelligent way. And other times they're like zombies. So Yeah, there there are times where it seems like the crazies. 
yeah or something like that but then there are other times where it completely is less it tries to be a little more subtle and you don't you shouldn't try subtle crank guy so this movie's fun it's very enjoyable nicholas cage is insane but it's obvious that the filmmakers were like oh we're having so much crazy fun on set we don't have to do things like you know plan yeah exactly um all right i want to talk about one last movie Okay. And uh, then we'll move on. Um, Isle of Dogs. Let me talk about that for a second. Aww. That's all I really have to say at this point. It's just, aww. <laughs> See, what's funny, though, you didn't... I didn't think you found it as cute as I did. Because I found this movie adorable. And then it was very also grungy as well. Well, here's the thing. Were you just going aww because you were just thinking of, like, little dog puppets? Here's... Here's what I found cute about it. It was more like it gave me cute emotions. Because I actually did not think the dogs were super cute. Well, I think a few of the dogs are very cute. Like the, the Bill Murray dog. This is how we start this review, by the way. Talking about which dogs are cute. But it gave me awe feelings. Okay. So it created cuteness in my soul. Even if there wasn't cuteness on hmm. screen all the cuteness time. Cuteness in my soul. That'll be your biography. Um... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, this is such an ambitious, beautifully realized film. Like, everything about this is just, uh, the way that Wes Anderson has been able to take a lot of influence from Jap Japan, and yet every single frame is his. Like, everything is Wes Anderson. Uh, that, to me, is just really incredible. Like, and the fact that he's able to keep so much of that vision going while other, you know, because usually you would think, well, with animation, it's ideal because he has like this super rigid way of shooting his movies and how his movies should be acted and everything like, and how they look in the design and all that, you know. But he's giving this movie over to these animators. But we talked about this, I think, uh, after we saw the movie that the. I think Wes Anderson is one of those creators, like Tim Burton, who is his movies. Like, you hear him talk, and he is a Wes Anderson character. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the case here, too. Uh, so if you like animation, um, like, this is going... I think this is going to be one of the really great animated films of this decade. Yeah, it is indescribably gorgeous, and it has a strong emotional core. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um... All right, so when we come back next, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Pam Greer. Yay! Pam Greer. Stay tuned. I've lost all of my pride. I've been to paradise and out the other side. With no one to guide me. Torn 